Before we get started, I just want to let you know that there is an extended version of this episode available for streaming or purchase on Ko-Fi. The link is in the description. Kia ora and welcome to this episode of The Amateur Austinite. I'm Frances Duncan, an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My returning guest is Pippa. Howdy. And today we're going to be discussing Letter 7 of Lady Susan by Jane Austen. Pippa, can you tell us what your first experience of Jane Austen was? First Austen was probably one of the mid-90s ones that I probably went to from school or maybe with my family. Letter 7. Lady Susan to Mrs. Johnson. Churchill. My dear Alicia. You are very good in taking notice of Frederica, and I am grateful for it as a mark of your friendship. But as I cannot have a doubt of the warmth of that friendship, I am far from accepting so heavy a sacrifice. She is a stupid girl and has nothing to recommend her. I would not, therefore, on any account have you encumber one moment of your precious time by sending her to Edward Street, especially as every visit is so many hours deducted from the grand affair of education which I really wish to be attended to while she remains with Miss Summers. I want her to play and sing with some portion of taste and a good deal of assurance, as she has my hand and arm and a tolerable voice. I was so much indulged in my infant years that I was never obliged to attend to anything, and consequently am without those accomplishments which are necessary to finish a pretty woman." Not that I am an advocate for the prevailing fashion of acquiring a perfect knowledge in all the languages, art, and sciences. It is throwing time away to be mistress of French, Italian, German, music, singing, drawing, etc. Will gain a woman some applause, but will not add one lover to her list. Grace and manner, after all, are of the greatest importance. I do not mean, therefore, that Frederica's acquirements should be more than superficial and I flatter myself that she will not remain long enough at school to understand anything thoroughly. I hope to see her the wife of Sir James within a twelve-month. You know on what I ground my hope, and it is certainly a good foundation, for school must be very humiliating to a girl of Frederica's age. And by the by, you had better not invite her any more on that account, as I wish to... Find her situation as unpleasant as possible. I am sure Sir James, at any time, could make him renew his application by a line. I shall trouble you, meanwhile, to prevent his forming any other attachment when he comes to town. Ask him to your house occasionally and talk to him about Frederica that he may not forget her. On the whole, I commend my own conduct in this affair extremely and regard it as a very happy mixture of circumspection and tenderness. Some mothers would have insisted on their daughters accepting so great an offer on the first overture, but I could not answer it to myself to force Frederica into a marriage from which her heart revolted, and instead of adopting so harsh a measure, merely proposed to make it her own choice, by rendering her life thoroughly uncomfortable till she does accept him. But enough of this tiresome girl. You may well wonder how I contrived to pass my time here, and for the first week it was most insufferably dull. Now, however, we begin to mend. Our party is enlarged by Mrs. Vernon's brother, a handsome young man who promises me some amusement. There is something about him that rather interests me, a sort of sauciness, of familiarity which I shall teach him to correct. 
He is lively and seems clever, and when I have inspired him with greater respect for me than his sister's kind offices have implanted, he may be an agreeable flirt. There is exquisite pleasure in subduing an insolent spirit, in making a person predetermined to dislike acknowledge one's superiority. I have disconcerted him already by my calm reserve, and it shall be my endeavour to humble the pride of these self-important de Courcy's still lower, to convince Mrs. Vernon that her sisterly cautions have been bestowed in vain, and to persuade Reginald that she has scandalously belied me. This project will serve at least to amuse me, and prevent my feeling so acutely this dreadful separation from you and all whom I love. Adieu, yours ever, S. Vernon. She is so meddly. What are we to make of this? Is Jane Austen making us think that she's bad because actually it turns out she's really good and she has a charity for saving fur seals and an orphanage and she recycles every type of plastic? I mean, one of those could be true (laughs) in this time period. So she's really shitty to her daughter here. She's a stupid girl and has nothing to recommend her. She's a tiresome girl. And she's open about it. Hang on. Can anyone fake her handwriting? Who do you think is writing this, if not her? Francis, you've already read the whole thing. Tell me what happens. I'm not going to tell you what happens. (laughs) I love that you're hooked on this, though. I mean, I don't know the limitations of Austen. Are there rules? Like, if somebody signs a letter, then it must be them who wrote it. I can't recall an occurrence in Austin of someone faking someone else's handwriting. Okay. Is that satisfactory? Okay. So unless she's lying about how bad she is instead of how good she is, then we are to take it that she's pretty medley and she uses people as a means to an end rather than a human thing in themselves. She wants to force Frederica into marriage? She wants her to find her situation at school as unpleasant as possible because she's 16, which is a little old to be at school. So Frederica needs to meet a rich lesbian at school and run away before she gets forced to marry Sir James. Wow. Like you can see her though. There was an exquisite pleasure in subduing an insolent spirit and making a person predetermined to dislike acknowledge one's superiority. She's pissed. She's going to subdue them and make them like her and think she's better than them or just, you know, love her because they're not treating her the way she wants to be treated. She kind of likes Reggie. She thinks he'll be an agreeable flirt, but he needs to treat her with greater respect. There's a sauciness of familiarity, which she's teaching him to correct. He's come in thinking he can flirt with her Hmm. because she'd enjoy flirting, right? Which she does. But I imagine he's doing it in a way that doesn't seem respectful. Hmm. And she's like, no, no, young man, that is not how we play this game. It would be easy to dismiss her as, you know, some kind of modern thing, narcissistic personality disorder, whatever. But actually, we have to look at things from the perspective of how would any of the other characters be? Should they be in her position of clearly meeting something? some money or some kind of stability are the other characters not necessarily nice but just lucky yeah that's part of it too right Mm. she's in a particular Mm. situation but her previous letters have shown that even when she was in a better situation 
Mm. Oh no, she wasn't in that great a situation. Obviously, she and her husband were having financial troubles. They were trying to sell the castle, the family Mm. home, and she refused Mm. to sell it to Charles because she didn't want him to have it. And also he was going to marry Mr. Corsi, who's now Mrs. Vernon, and she didn't want him to marry her. At that point, they were in financial trouble. So you could argue those were her reasons, but it doesn't actually make any sense why Mm. she wouldn't want to sell the property to her brother-in-law because then it can stay in the family. And you'd still get the same amount of money. Exactly. It must be a bummer having a castle and then not having a castle. But to her, it's about status. Mm. And you can see that in the way that she wants him to treat her a certain way. Sometimes I feel like... Jane Austen books ought to go in the economics section at the library. You're not the first person to say that. Um, Someone wrote a poem about it, something about oh. brass, that all her books are actually about brass and they're referring to coins. Mm. Yeah. So they're almost, you know, not so much fictional stories as primary sources for attitudes to money. So Lady Susan has views about how people should spend their money, right? Because when she's going Mm. to Churchill, she says, it's a nice house, but they don't know how to spend their money. It should be much more flash than this. Mm. They should go to London to party rather than just on business. He's got heaps of money. Why isn't he using it? But then on the other hand, he gives it to me. So why should I bother? Is she going to kill them and take over their lives? I mean, that would be cool. Wrong genre, I suppose. I would be down for that. Does anyone kill anyone in Jane Austen? In the juvenilia. Which technically this is juvenilia. There is theories that Lady Susan killed her husband. There's Mm. no evidence anywhere in the text. Except that it hasn't been very long and she seems kind of fine. But everyone grieves in their own fashion. She seems a bit preoccupied with stuff other than the fact that her husband has just died. Although survival is a legitimate thing to be concerned, with which to be concerned. But it's almost as if she flirts for the sake of it. Is entertainment even more important to her? Or is there some ultimate manipulation? And even the idea of enjoying flirting is actually a decoy thing, because she's actually cold out to get something. In this letter, she particularly talks about flirting with Reggie, Because she wants to correct him. Is she out for some kind of revenge? Did one of them kill her husband? No. That's the thing, right? (laughs) She wants revenge on them. She wants to humble the pride of these self-important decorsies. Why? They've done nothing to her. Mm. Reggie's been a little bit flirty. Catherine wanted to marry and did marry Mr. Vernon. There's Mm. no reason for Lady Susan to dislike either of them. Maybe it's because she always wants to be superior. And also, they're in better situations than her and have more money. I guess that's what it's all about. Was it in this letter or one of the two previous ones, perhaps? Winningly mild. That was Mrs. Vernon's (laughs) description of Lady Susan. As we were reading it, we were kind of like, oh, she sounds like she's into her. Winningly mild. Also, it's like saying interestingly boring. Let me read you the list of things that Mrs. Vernon says flatteringly about Lady Susan. This is from letter six. She is excessively pretty. Cue queer content. I must for my own part declare that I have seldom seen so lovely a woman as Lady Susan. Translation. I didn't know I was gay, but now I do. 
She is delicately fair with fine grey eyes and dark eyelashes. And from her appearance, one would not suppose her more than five and twenty, though she must in fact be ten years older. I was not disposed to admire her, because she dislikes already, even though I already heard she was beautiful. But I cannot help feeling that she possesses an uncommon union of symmetry, brilliancy, and grace. Maybe she's the devil. Ooh, I Imagine like this was some kind of Christian parable. Her countenance is absolutely sweet, and her voice and manner winningly mild. It's not abrasive. Mm-hmm. That's what she means by mild, rather than mm-hmm. boring. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whereas if we describe somebody as mild, it doesn't sound like a compliment. She also says she is clever and agreeable, talks very well with a happy command of language. If you take those things out of context, it does sound like Mrs. Vernon is into Lady Susan. She's like, I don't Mm. want to be. This is an enemies to lovers storyline. Lady Susan does a whole rant about education. And the interesting Mm. thing is, in Pride and Prejudice, Caroline Bingley also does a whole rant about education. Mm. What is necessary to finish a young lady? But where Miss Bingley thinks all this stuff is necessary, Lady Susan's like, it's totally not. You just need a little bit to make it look like you're polished all round, but it's not going to add any lovers. Mm -hmm. So she's sort of thinking of her daughter as something she could just put a coat of paint on rather than being made of solid marble. Exactly. But she even lists the same things that Caroline Bingley does. The languages, arts and sciences... French, Italian, German, music, singing, drawing. But then at the end of the list is grace and manner, which Caroline Bingley also talks about, but she uses different words. But those are the two things, the grace and manner, which Lady Susan thinks are of the greatest importance. Whereas to Caroline Bingley, those are just things that polish off all the rest of it. I don't like it. Those things should be there because they feel good. What about making the world a better place? That's not a woman's role in this time period. Does anyone in this thing actually love anyone else? I think that Lady Susan and Mrs. Johnson love each other. That's nice. And you'll be pleased to know that David, who's a member of the Austin Society and an academic, uh, thinks that Lady Susan and Mrs. Johnson are lovers. Oh, that would be my dream. I would find that exquisitely comforting. He thinks that Mrs. Johnson is the only person that Lady Susan is actually capable of loving. Mm-hmm. It still leaves the problem of how to make money and survive. Mrs. Johnson is currently married, which also means they cannot be together. So mm. Lady Susan has to do something to survive. Mm. Can she live in their house? Mr. Johnson doesn't want her in their house because mm. he's respectable, remember? Mm. But yeah, she talks about her daughter's education shouldn't be anything more than superficial. Mean. This poor daughter. Do we get to hear from her? There is one letter from her. Can she write? Much further on. (laughs) But see, the thing is, this is what most people thought about women's education at Mm. the time. They didn't need to know things because they weren't supposed to be using their brains. Although running a big household, if you were on an estate, is a big job. You did actually need to be able to work the books and know how things run and you'd be Mm. a bit of a manager, right? Mm. And you'd also be working with children and a lot of staff because, yes, you'd have people to help with the children and you'd have people to help 
with the house, but you were supposed to manage them. And you were supposed to manage like yours and your husband's social calendar, which is like a whole nother job and show a certain face to society. It was that job. And for a very long time, being married was factored into men's lives as a way of survival. It was a job. That was a a job unit. You worked together to provide a home and a family and a household. The original calculations for the 40-hour work week or something like that. The, The original person who did calculations on how much people need to survive, how much they could work and how much money they needed was based around a man being married and that all his homework, all the work around his house, was being done by his wife who he did not have to pay. Yep. So cooking all the meals, doing all the cleaning, doing all the child raising, educating, etc. So he didn't have to come home and then do more work. Mm-hmm. He would work the nine to five and then... The patriarchal economy that relies on the free labour of women. Women of their rank didn't really work. They were expected mm-hmm. to get married or one of their male relatives was supposed to yeah, provide a home brother for them. at least. People slightly lower down but still kind of gentry, although technically Lady Susan's aristocracy because she's got a title, could become governesses or like ladies' companions. So like mm. little old ladies who have no friends. Lesbians. <laughs> Not quite, although, who knows? They, <laughs> yeah, ladies' companions, ladies-in-waiting. That's more royal thing. Mm. So it's like a little old lady doesn't want to live alone. Mm. So a younger, potentially relative who is impoverished lives with her and supports her. That and governess, apart from wife, are really the only respectable things that a woman could do. But they're kind of shitty lives. Mm. Open to exploitation. And they're in a weird place because they're not servants, but they're not equal to the family. So they're in the middle and they have no one they can talk to. And they could be mistreated from both sides. Expendable, exploitable, replaceable, and not with their own families. I would like to see the Saturday Night Live version. Maybe the Muppets version. Maybe just a song about it. If I start a band called Winningly Mild. You're going to sing songs about Lady Susan? Yeah. And there's an album and it's called Lady Susan. Each song is one of the other characters talking about her. I feel like there'd be a market for that. That is our discussion on Letter 7 of Lady Susan by Jane Austen. I'm Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com, on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan, and Instagram at Francis Duncan Does. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. That's Francis and Pippa tonight. You are hilarious. <laughs> Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!